Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. I'm a Trumpocrat. The Trumpocrat, that's right. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview, is brought to you in part by the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Thursday, December 3rd, 2020. The headline in the paper, and I just picked this story because it's going to be relevant to my, our discussion that we're going to be having. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. <clears> throat> headline in the Chicago Sun-Times, striking nursing home workers await response to latest offer. Come on, nursing home, stop being so cheap. Anyway, that's the headline uh, in the paper, my beloved bright one. Uh, and I have a distinguished guest with me to discuss that and many other issues of the day. Uh, so as we always do on the Ben Jarofsky Show when it, with a bonus guest, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, Ben. I am State Representative Lakeisha Collins of the Illinois' Ninth House District. Yes. How are you? I am doing very well. Thanks for uh, asking me, Lakeisha. And uh, there was a reason I asked uh, Lakeisha to come on the show, uh, because I really wanted to talk about the striking nursing home workers. And I'm just going to say this up front. uh, And uh, this is me speaking, not Lakeisha. Mm -hmm. But man, come on, nursing homes. Cheap is cheap. I mean, what you were paying these nursing home workers, I know you could afford to give them a raise. Now, this is me talking to you nursing homeowners, just one-on-one, bend to the nursing homeowners. Just give them the raise and let's settle this strike. All right, that's the end of me and my uh, <laughs> comments, Lakeisha. Uh, so uh, before we get into the particulars of the, um, the nursing home strike, uh, which has been on for about a week now, I want to say. Uh, yes. Why? Let's go. You were on my show about I forget when you were on. It's been a while and people may have forgotten your your background. But there's a reason why you care okay. uh, in particular about these nursing home workers. So, Lakeisha, why don't you uh, give folks a little biography, a little background on who you are, where you come from and why you care so much about this issue? Yes. Um, so I want to say, um, you know, I graduated from high school. I was a ward of the state, graduated from high school. Went to college, uh, community college. Um, I um, got pregnant with my first son. I had to find a job, and my first job uh, was at a nursing home. I was working at a nursing home on the southwest side of Chicago, 
And when I started, I was making $8.42. I remember that because, you know, I was in disbelief because I felt as though, you know, we're taking care of the most vulnerable population. Um, and I, it wasn't just about the money, but it was just shocking to know that that's how much we were making at that time. But what was even more shocking is that I stayed at that job for 10 years and I only got up to $10.35. So in the nursing home industry, they they pay you poverty wages, right? They get money from the state, um, which is supposed to go to, you know, direct care. It's supposed to go to staffing and, you know, other things like that to keep the nursing homes operating and keep them safe. But, you know, they, you know, they, they pay the workers poverty wages, um, and most of the time we are working, you know, two or three jobs and we're still getting money from the state or assistance from the state because we can't afford, you know, uh, basic necessities and things like that. So it's just like a cycle of poverty working in nursing homes. And it's very it's a very difficult job, but you really have to have compassion to do that type of work. No, Keisha, let's go back in time. So roughly what year was it that you started working at the nursing home? I started working in 2006. Yep. Wow, 2006. I'm going back in time to 2006. So you worked there to 2016. And what were your yes. specific uh, duties and responsibilities for $8.42 an hour? Yes. So I worked on, well, I worked on uh, several different floors. Um, the floor that I uh, was assigned to the most was the dementia unit, which was a lock unit, um, which was, you know, kind of scary for me because I just felt like, you know, our residents needed to go outside. They need to get air. But unfortunately, that's not how they operate. But my job was to, you know, assist with hygiene, give residents showers, um, sometimes console them. You know, we were like their family, groom them. Um, I used to do spa days, you know, polish their nails, give them shaves, feed them, turn them if they were contracted. Um you know, and just just be there, you know, listen to them when they were upset, if they if they were having a bad day. My job was to know, you know, if a resident was going down as far as like their health, um, identify a change in their behavior. So we literally are the frontline workers. We, you know, um, notify the nurses or management if we see something you know, changing in their status. Um, we are the first people that they see when they wake up and when they go to bed at night, during the holidays, we are there with them. Um, and so we, we literally become their family. They become our family. We literally take our work home because we're constantly thinking about the uh, residents when we are at home, you know, hoping that they're, you know, continuing to get the best care possible. But a lot of times, often, you know, we were working short staff. And from 2006 until now, they're still working short staff. And um, a lot of people don't understand what that means. And so working on a dementia unit um, with 65 patients or more with two or three CNAs and sometimes one at night is very dangerous, dangerous for the residents and for the workers. But that has been something that's been going on for decades. Yeah, now um, I'm going to say this a lot. Any millennials out there listening, I'm just going to break some bad news to you. Uh, as strong as you feel right now, 
as sharp as your brain is working right now. It's not going to be that way for the rest of your life if you live a long life. And Lakeisha Collins learned this in 2006 when she went to work at that nursing home. And Lakeisha, I've dealt with this because I've had my parents get old and deal with dementia and deal with the inability to remember things and get irritable and angry at the drop of a hat. You don't know where it's coming from, Lakeisha Collins. You understand what I'm saying? Sundown. And and so it it's so important to have people with compassion and um, how do I put this? Uh, just like a certain sense of composure on the front lines when an older person just freaks out. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, it's scary sometimes. Um, I think my first day on the job, um, my very first day on the job, mind you, I was like um, 20, 21. And, you know, I was working on the fourth floor, which was a dementia unit. And um, I was told by management that I was going to get more staff on the floor at that time. Um, I learned about ghost schedules <laughs> where they'll have on paper that there's four CNAs or five, but really there's just you. And that was the night that, you know, um, one of the residents passed away. That was my first time, you know, um, working a unit by myself. I was scared out of my, out of my mind. My son was about maybe eight months old. Um, and I didn't know what to do, but I had to suck it up and get through the night um, I thought about quitting, but after seeing the conditions of that nursing home, it got me involved with my union because I wanted to change that environment. Um, and so it was fighting through the contract, um, you know, bargaining at the table, fighting for better working conditions, fighting for higher wages, fighting for more resources. And I think it takes a lot of courage to stand up to the boss. And that is what the workers on the strike line right now are doing. They're standing up to the boss and they're advocating for their residents who they love. And so All right. it's uh, you mentioned your union. Uh, so talk about your union. And I know I presume the union you are joining is the same one that's representing uh, the workers who are on the strike. Correct. Yes, um, SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. Um, I got a lot of my development from them being an organizer, member leader. Um, and I mean, the ooh, the development I got from my union was uh, much needed at that time. Because like I said, when you're going into a facility where you literally see, you know, you see the things that family members don't see, <laughs> you know, when you come into a facility and it looks all nice on the first floor. I always tell people, go to the second and third floor, go to the fourth floor, <laughs> pop up. You know, <laughs> they have what they call TLC patients, tender, love and care, where they're like top priority. Like it, it's just all the residents should be top priority. But that's not the way they operate those nursing homes. And SEIU has been able to really open up the eyes of a lot of workers um, on how these nursing homes operate and bring that inner power out um, and collectively fight back on a lot of the oppression and injustice that we face on our jobs. And so I really um, am proud to you know, be a member of that organization because they've taught me a lot. Well, let's talk about some of the issues at stake uh, in this particular strike. I'm reading this from t today's Sun-Times, or from the uh, Sun-Times of December 3rd, I should say. Workers began bargaining for a new contract in June. Uh, 
Their old one expired in May. The key issue for workers remains wages. They say the $14 an hour average wage doesn't qualify as a living wage. The workers say they also wanted additional $2 an hour in COVID pay. End of quote. $14 an hour. That's what uh, the workers are getting now, which is up from the 842, I guess. I say it's progress at 14 years, but it uh, doesn't seem like much uh, in the way of progress to me, Lakeisha. $14 an hour, that's what they're paid? Yeah, it's, um, it's years of fighting back, though. You know, this this has been years of fighting, um, passing the minimum wage, because we, we, we're a political organization as well. And so we do a lot of work in Springfield um, to fight around some of the things that we need. Um, but yeah, 14 is still not enough. It's a stepping stone. Um, it's not like the workers are asking for $50 an hour. They're asking for a decent living wage. Um, and the owner is just being, you know, he's being childish at this moment. And uh, do the workers also get uh, health care benefits or do they uh, are they getting that through their job? So, yes, they do have um, health care. I'm not sure about the infinity contract. The SEIU represents um, several different nursing homes. This nursing home is not a part of the bigger chain of nursing homes that they represent. Um, so I really don't know the the exact details of infinity. But um, I know for me, my experience was that we did get offered uh, health insurance. But again, you know, um, most employees will probably get, you know, public aid, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah. Lakeisha, when you leave Chicago and you talk to people from outside Chicago and you tell them about a strike or you tell about nursing home workers, what's the general attitude? My sense is just like prejudice toward people in Chicago or disbelief. Uh, have you found that it's a more sympathetic audience outside of Chicago? Um, you know, I think over the years, um, nursing home workers has been able to change the narrative. There are some folks who still kind of like, will say things, you know, like, um, we'll find another job, right? Like, it's just that easy, and it's not. Because a lot of these workers, um, they care about the people who they take care of. But what I've seen just from when I first started um, is that people used to blame the, the workers. And now people are starting to see, because of our stories, because we have gone public a lot, that it's not the workers, it's actually the owners and how they operate these nursing homes. Um, I think the pandemic has really exposed a lot of things that we've been talking about for years. And so now you're starting to see a lot of folks get involved. A lot of people express their concerns and their gratitude to the frontline workers. And, you know, I've been seeing a lot of support pretty much from everywhere, places where I didn't really think that we would see it. But we have members, you know, in Springfield, um, pretty much all across the state who um, didn't believe that they deserve more. They fought back. They threatened strikes. Um, they stood up against their boss, and now they're making more. So. You talk about uh, the pandemic. You, uh, what is the impact of COVID uh, on the nursing home workers? Oh, we've watched, um, even before I ran for state representative, I've lost, um, you know, a couple of members who... I had the pleasure of knowing um, as a member and then as staff with SEIU. 
and we've lost them to this pandemic. Um, you know, people thought that it was just the CNAs, but what we've seen was that there were cooks, laundry aides, dietary workers who was, you know, catching this virus and dying from it because of lack of PPE, lack of staffing. Um, and it's just, it's, it's been really hard for them to, to work through this pandemic, but they keep sacrificing their lives going in, in a place where they don't know if they'll, you know, take this virus home, if they'll catch it. They've watched a lot of their residents pass away from it. It's, it's, it's done a lot of damage. And you would think that nursing home owners would, you know, have more, that they'll be more, um, you know, I'm trying to find the right word. <laughs> you, you think they'll care more. Sympathetic but they're, they're uh, to Sympathetic the, to it, yeah, but they, yeah. they're not. They're not. It's, it's all are, about the money. Um, one of the things that I find so frustrating, I'm going to share this with you and get your thoughts on this. I have a lot of uh, arguments. I personally don't have the arguments, but I uh, we play uh, reactions of uh, what I call MAGA people, people who support Donald Trump. Uh, to the COVID for a long time ago. Don't wear a mask. There's no weird to reason to wear a mask. Uh, I don't. This thing has been exaggerated by Democrats who want to undercut uh, the economy to hurt our great president. I'm just paraphrasing what MAGA says, Lakeisha. And uh, and so uh, I don't even believe it's real. Uh, and I believe it's exaggerated. And f- if I die, I die anyway. So by and large. And Lakeisha, when I hear that, I'm like, well, that's easy for you to say. What happens when you get sick? Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to go to a hospital if you get really sick. What about the poor worker has to take care of you? You understand what I'm saying, Lakeisha? Mm-hmm. Like, you act, you say, well, I don't believe it. I don't care if I die. So does that mean, like, you're not going to go to a hospital then? You yeah. know, it was like, if that's your attitude, you're just going to go in the alley and just get in a fetal position? Do, do you follow what I'm saying? Um, yes. What, like, when you hear that, when you hear that, that attitude of uh, Trump supporters, they don't want to wear a mask because they don't want to be infringed upon. But they'll they're more than willing to infringe upon a healthcare worker. What's your attitude? What's your reaction to that? Is is disheartening? Um, is disbelief? But it it also comes with a it, it just depends. It comes with a sense of privilege, right? Um, majority of the workers in healthcare are black and brown women um, and men who are on the front lines. And so it is it, is rooted in this system that, you know, we see the the rise of COVID in majority of these predominantly black and brown communities, and so it is very disheartening. The very people who you're you know downing are the very people you'll need if you get sick or your loved ones get sick, um, and it shouldn't take for that to happen, but. A lot of the times it, it happens and then people are more, you know, sympathetic and more thankful um, to those workers. But like I said, you know, this, this is a, a issue that has been plaguing our our country for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And um, this pandemic is just exposing even more of some of the rooted issues that, you know, that we that we have in our country. Uh, bef- before I leave the uh, the issue of the strike 
uh, and go on to something else I want to ask you about. Is there any, uh, uh, if people want to help out, is there a strike fund they want to contribute to, or if they want more information, can you uh, can you uh, recommend a website they go to uh, to contact uh, folks with the union to help out? Yes, so they uh, do have an SEIU page. Um, it's SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana. Um that they can follow on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And then I'm looking for their strike because they do have a, um, what do you call that? Uh, um, mm, a GoFundMe page for the strikers. Okay. I just cannot find it right now. All right. That's okay. We'll get it later. I saw, I know it in the but paper. They can, but they could go to the page and they'll see it on there. Cause they'll it's, find it's it there. All right, so uh, you got elected in, uh, I'm doing this off the top of my head, 2000, and when, when did you get elected? I'm, I'm losing track of time now. I've <laughs> so lost I track won of the t- primary um, March 17, 2020. Oh, yeah, 2020, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, so you, you got elected during the pandemic. Uh, yes. you, you, you got elected during the pandemic, but there was one session that you went down to. So this is what I was leading up to. So you're, you're a rookie state rep. You're from Chicago. And um, you're going down to Springfield. You got to wear the mask for the pandemic. Uh, that was the famous one where Darren Bailey walked out. He didn't want to wear the mask. Uh, they kicked him out. He didn't walk out. They kicked him out. But he walked out after they kicked him out. So what was the response of people who weren't from Chicago to you coming down? I mean, were you uh, were they friendly to you? Were they hostile to you? Did they do they treat uh, rookies like rookies, you know, in the NBA? They, they make you want to carry their luggage or something like that. I mean, what's the reaction? How do they treat rookie legislators from Chicago? You know what? I I haven't been to Springfield yet. <laughs> I've been on Zoom um, ninety percent of the time, um, and I was I was welcomed. Um, a lot of people congratulated me. A lot of my colleagues. Um, I've gotten a lot of help uh, from you know many of my colleagues. Um, some of them I. You know, I knew already from going down to Springfield, asking them to sponsor bills for nursing home workers, um, telling our stories and things like that. I don't think that they quite remembered me. <laughs> and the funny story is that I sent a picture to LaShawn, Representative Ford, um, from when we won the nursing home short staff enforcement um, bill uh, that Senator um, Collins and, and Lyford uh you know, chief sponsored and co-sponsored. And um, he was just like, wow. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's crazy how people cross paths. You never know. But um, it, it's been a, it's been very busy. I mean, I, I, I got a point early. So I just jumped in and just started diving in and working ever since. I haven't had a real break since. So. Since I, uh, you know, I, I'm getting everything mixed up because I, I recall that there was a meeting that convened in Springfield and maybe that was under the old session before you uh, were officially a state rep. You know, the meeting I'm so, talking about. The, actually, I think you're talking about the one in May. Um, May. Yes, it was in May. I didn't get appointed. So I won in March um, and then I didn't get appointed until uh Representative Turner uh, retired, I think it was late July. So I, I officially started 
late July. I see. And they were already out of session then. So. Got it. So you yeah. missed uh, that great uh, meeting in uh, May where uh, that, that's the one I remember where Darren Bailey, the state rep, uh, left because he wouldn't wear a mask. Um, all right. So before we leave Springfield News completely, uh, I've got to ask you the Michael Madigan question. <laughs> uh, House Speaker Michael Madigan, you knew this was coming. So uh, <laughs> uh, uh, House Speaker Michael Madigan uh, is on the ropes, to put it mildly. Uh, there's okay. a contingent of uh, Democrats, I believe it's 19, who've on the record saying they're not going to vote for him uh and um uh, jim durkin who's the uh the republican from DuPage county and, and their leader of the republicans is uh offering his name uh to democrats uh in the hopes that he finds one of them to support him i don't believe he'll ever find a democrat to support him but uh anyway what's your uh, attitude your your position on michael Joseph Madigan. Go ahead. You said the whole name uh, <laughs> on Speaker Madigan. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I am a rookie. And right now I've just really been focused on the issues happening in the Ninth District. I have been paying attention to what's been going on with, you know, folks are coming out, um, you know, saying that they're not going to support him. Me personally, um, I've just been, you know, watching, listening, um, you know, trying to hear my constituents out, seeing what their concerns are, what their interests are. I've been dealing with a lot of things as far as like school closures, well, threats of school closures in my district. Um, but me personally, I just think that, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic. So it's just a lot of crazy stuff going on right now. I'm trying to make sure that we keep food on the table, keep people in their homes um, and keep people working as much as possible. I think whoever the speaker is and whatever the caucus decides, um, you know, the speaker needs to be someone who's going to lead us in the right direction. And so, you know, I've been thinking hard on it, um, Ben, but I haven't made a decision yet. But I know that time is ticking, and when that happens, you know, we'll see what happens. Lakeisha, that'll be your welcome to Springfield moment when you have to make that vote. <laughs> Say a little prayer, look up at the sky. I, uh, I told um, my staff, I said, you know, it is a crazy time to get in office in the midst of a pandemic. In the midst of a, a house vote, it, it's just, it's a crazy time. And, you know, I never thought in a million years that I would be a, you know, a politician or elected official, should I say. And yeah. it's like, you want to do so much your first term. And, and that was my mind frame. Like, oh, I want to be involved in all of this great stuff. Right. Yeah. And I find myself just like. At the end of the day, I'm like, oh, my gosh, where did my day go? Because you, you meet with so many different organizations, so many constituents, and you're trying to figure things out. You're getting calls about, you know, people afraid of getting evicted, people who are looking for, you know, assistance and things like that. It's just it's, it's draining. And then to have this to think about, too, it's just it's a lot. So you, you mentioned uh, talking to constituents, uh, the 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 conversation regarding Michael Madigan mm -hmm. uh, is a big one in my show. I have a political podcast, so yeah. I, we take the deep dive into politics and I can't avoid it. I talk about it all the time. Mm -hmm. What do your constituents say? Do they even know about it? Are people paying attention to it? Uh, is it on their radar? 
So in my district, I haven't heard a whole lot about it. I have heard from some, but not a lot. I represent 105,000 constituents, and it's very little conversation about Speaker Madigan. So, you know, but I'm pretty sure that once it's it's get closer, you know, folks are going to probably start calling in more. But it's just really not something that folks have been really talking about in my district. Yeah. All right. I hear you. All right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, we survived the Michael Madigan question. That's not bad. Hey, I'm trying you. to be as honest as possible. Man. I don't, I would have, if I were a rookie state rep, I would have done the same thing. I would have said, well, Ben, you know, I'm giving it a lot of consideration, uh, getting the, comments from both sides of the table. Mm-hmm. See, Lakeisha, it's easy for me to come out and go, Madigan, you got to leave. God, <laughs> stay rep. So um, I understand it's a different situation for you and Delia and everybody else I talked to. Stay I had a Lindsay LaPointe. I was interviewing yeah. her the other, uh, well, I wasn't interviewing her, part of a podcast, uh, but she's in a different predicament than you are. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Let's move on and talk. Let's uh, close by talking about uh, some developments in your neck of the wood, your district on the west side. Uh, okay. It's actually, I think it was on the, well, it wasn't the front page of the Sun-Times, but it was in the Sun-Times recently mm-hmm. uh, about a school consolidation issue. And uh, why don't you take it away and explain the good news that happened uh, in North Lawndale? So, yes, um, there was, well, there is um, a group um well, stakeholders, uh, NLCCC, and then they have um, a CAC committee who um, they came up with this idea, which I think, you know, it took a lot. They've been planning this for a while um, where they wanted to build a new STEAM school. Um, but in the in the in order to do that, they had to consolidate three schools. And so, as you know, I don't know if you remember, but I've been saying this a lot that I do not support closed school, closing schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it helps the community at all to close down schools. And I know from the conversations I had on the doors during the campaigning that, you know, folks wanted their schools to be fully funded. They didn't want them closed. They were tired of seeing empty schools in the community. And so there was pushback from parents and teachers and students at the three schools that were going to be um, consolidated. And, you know, they 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 were able to get CPS to pretty much back off. And I think CPS did the right thing listening to, you know, the um, parents and the students. And, you know, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. But um, I think both groups want the same thing. You know, everyone wants to see Lawndale, you know, to they, they want to uplift Lawndale and Lawndale needs that. They need to have more resources. They need new development. Um, I just think that the entire community needs to have say so um, in how that community is developed. And, you know, so it so it is a win. Um, But I think moving forward, I think both, you know, community groups need to come together and come up with a plan that's going to benefit the entire community. Lakeisha, I just cannot remember this in the last time in the show. Did you grow up in Lawndale? No, I did not. Um, but I was a water state, so I lived on the west side and various other places throughout my my childhood. Mm. So, so yeah. So you've seen the the west side change. You've seen the city change. People moving out. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. I, I've. Um, I mean, you you see it right now where it's changing even more. People are afraid of of gentrification. Um, 
and and I tell people this all the time, we can have development in our communities without displacement. Um, and I think that, you know, because people want new development, I don't think that, um, and it's just what any community, you know, you have to think about it and make sure that everyone is a part of that process and that you have all the T's crossed, all the I's dotted, um, and so, I mean, I never wanted to be an elected official that was silent on any issue. Um, this issue was very important to me. And I know just how important it was to NOCCC to have a new school, but I also knew how important it was for the parents to keep their schools and have it fully funded. And so um, I just thought that they needed to come together and, you know, whatever I can do as their state representative, um, to help them get what they need. Mm-hmm. So, but I think that closing schools should never be an option. Yeah. Uh, well, you were here in Chicago when Mayor uh, Manuel closed 50 schools. Yes. Uh, and you were already working at a nursing home by then. That was about mm-hmm. 2013. Uh, so it just, this popped into my head. Uh, do you think Joe, uh, President Joe Biden should nominate uh, Rahm Emanuel, former mayor of the city of Chicago, <laughs> yeah. 50 schools to any position in the cabinet. Your thoughts, Lakeisha Collins. There's a, <laughs> man, you just don't let up, do you? Uh, <laughs> I think like Rahm, you know, oh my gosh, it was so much that was, that was wrong with Rahm. Um, and I mean, <laughs> No, he should not. There you go. <laughs> you know, he, he covered up Laquan McDonald's yes. murder. Like, it, it was so much. And I was out there protesting pretty much almost every day. When they released the video, it was on my birthday. I was out in the streets, right? Like, he caused so much damage to our city. I, I can only imagine what he'll do to our country. And so um, that is something I, I, I would definitely say I'm against. Um, yeah, because he sure. damaged a lot of communities communities people are still you know um hurt by those 50 school closures you know absolutely he wasn't even in chicago i'll just uh, add that little uh, joe biden president elect joe biden if you're listening to this uh, podcast i know you're a huge fan of ben jarofsky's show so if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast i'm telling you he the man wasn't even in chicago when he closed the school he had barbara bird bennett close the schools <laughs> while he was off skiing in utah just saying that president-elect joe yeah. biden Okay. Yeah, I like then, Joe Biden. I like President-elect Joe Biden. I do. But, um, you know, Rahm Emanuel, I, I just, I'm not feeling him at all. Yeah. You know what? I'm glad you said that, Lakeisha. Do you know how much grief I got from people of the millennial persuasion? Because I would say nice things. About, I know all these radical millennials. They'd be like, oh, Ben, he sucks, man. What's I'm a that? millennial. I, I know I was, you are. I was pro Bernie. I, I like Elizabeth Warren, but you know, um, yeah. I mean, it's time for Trump to go. Oh, it's definitely time <laughs> for Trump to go. Somebody need to get a U-Haul truck and just start packing <laughs> stuff like right away. But no, seriously, um, you know, um, Ron Ron would not be a good ideal person. For any office. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Lakeisha Collins and I see eye to eye on that one. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Lakeisha, thank you so much for coming on. It's a blast talking to you. And um, uh, thank you for st- uh, sticking up, not forgetting your roots and standing up, sticking with the uh, nursing home workers. I think it's shameful that this city 
that is so wealthy in so many ways, this is me getting on my soapbox, Lakeisha, that cannot afford to give a raise beyond $14 an hour to frontline workers. And I got to say this, as someone whose parents had dementia, Lakeisha, okay. you, this is God's work. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I can't, know, yeah, go and, ahead. And really quick, the, the, the rates of COVID in non-for-profit homes are way higher than non-for-profit nursing homes. That's a problem. You, you Wait, know? say that again? The rates for COVID and, and so say that again? For COVID are actually higher in for-profit nursing homes than oh. they are non-for-profit nursing homes. Wow. Now yeah. I'm, I'm absorbing that. I, I, my guess is, and correct me if I'm wrong on my guess, because they're squeezing every nickel they can to make more money. Is that why it's the rates are higher? So they're. I mean, if, when you really dive deep into what happens with these nursing homes that are for profit and the workers who work there, like I know for me, even when I speak to other nursing home workers now in 2020, a lot of them agree with me. Like we still buy like, um, you know, deodorant, shaving cream, personal products for our, you know, uh, residents who are, you know, women and we're buying it with our own money, money that we really don't have, but we do it because we love them and we know that they want to feel human. Right. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) you got to think about it. The only time when the nursing homes are, you know, staffing these homes or giving us the resources we need to make sure our patients are taken care of is when a state is coming to do a survey. That is the only time. Most of the time in these nursing homes, that's the only time that you'll see where everyone's helping out, you know, in management, where they're walking around, they're nice, they're, hey, do you need help? They're answering call lights. But when a state is not doing a survey, guess what? They're left out there on the floors by themselves, you know, looking for towels, looking for pillowcases, looking for blankets, looking for gowns and things like that. It is sad. It is so sad. And the fact that, you know, the state give them money and the federal government gave them the CARES Act money. And he, this owner of Infinity is still playing as though, you know, he can't be touched. It, it's just wrong. It is wrong. You know, right, well, I but I was in Springfield. I remember. You'll remember. I will remember. All right, Lakeisha Collins, uh, thank you very much for taking the time. We'll talk to you real soon, okay? Thank you. All Take right, care. that's that's Lakeisha Collins. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 